0: Welcome to my study on understanding the book of Acts. These messages were given live during my regular Sunday morning services. Now, while each of these messages are able to help you as a standalone message, I recommend listening from the beginning because they do build on one another. Now, I pray these help you in your journey of understanding God's word. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Let's get to the message. So like I said, we're going to be in Acts chapter 21 today. And remember, I I can't, because of the time constraint that I have, I can't go and do verse by verse through the rest of Acts. There's just too much going on and my sabbatical is too close. So what I'm doing is I'm taking small portions of the rest of the book and actually covering larger themes um, within, within the book. And honestly, a lot of them are within the rest of the gospel. This particular one that we're going to be dealing with today can be found through most of the gospels, And all of the New Testament writings. And it's the concept of serving with humility and power. Now, one of the things that you don't hear me talk about a lot is the power of the Holy Spirit, because I'm not a hyper charismatic person. I fully believe in the gifts of the Spirit, I fully believe in the power of the Spirit, but I also don't believe that it belongs to us. We don't it's not controlled by us. The Spirit is not my at my beck and call. I'm at its. So when the Spirit wants to move, if I'm willing, it'll move. But if I want the spirit to move and it's not time, guess what? (laughs) I don't get to tell God what to do. I learned that a long time ago. I tried to explain to God how much better my life would be if he just did things my way. You know, for example, Lord, if you would just let me win that $895 million, you know, Powerball lottery, think of the tithe, Lord. And when I didn't play either, but you know, you get, you get that idea. (laughs) <laughs> so we're at God's mercy, not the other way around. Um, now today, I just want to warn you, this the topic that I'm particularly talking about today um, is one that tends to, uh, we'll say, stir me a little bit. So if I end up on a soapbox for a moment, don't worry, the air's thin, I'll get off, okay? I, I don't spend a lot of time there, but this is a subject that I have spent a lot of time dealing with, over, especially over the last couple of years, and it means a tremendous amount to me because I believe This is one of the areas where the charismatic church especially is amazingly wrong. Amazingly wrong. Not all of them. Please don't. We're not talking about, we're the only ones that do it right. That's not what I'm talking about. But in large, we get this very, very wrong. And we need to come back to a biblical perspective. I'm going to show you what I mean by this. Now, the book of Acts, the title is The Acts of the Apostles. Now, in truth, the book of Acts is not so much about theology as it is about duology. It is about how the first century church expanded throughout the world. That's the process. The process is not how powerful God is. The whole Bible t- teaches us about that. The process in Acts is the transformation or the transference of the gospel message from the hands of the, Je- of the Jews to the hands of the Gentiles. If you look at the arc of the book of Acts, the gospel starts into the in the hands of the Jews and God moves it to the hands of the Gentiles. That's the, that's the fundamental arc within the book of Acts. Now this causes a problem because the Jewish nation has always been God's people. They've always been God's people. And for them, especially in the first, ch- first century, the idea that anyone could be right with God without being a Jew was repulsive. It was absolutely repulsive. When you think about that today, today it sounds like this. If you want to be a real Christian, you can't be a fill-in-the-blank-with-the-denomination. Real Christians are Baptists, Episcopal. You're not a Christian if you're Catholic. This is the exact same thing that the first century Jew was doing. This is the exact same thing that the Jewish nation was doing. It was, you have to be one of us in order to be right with God. See, it had nothing to do with the standards of God. It had to do with identifying with us. This is a mistake. But the Jewish nation was stomping their feet, even though the Messiah had come. Jesus had come, the one who was going to set the record straight, he was going to make all things clear, and the Jewish nation firmly believed that when God sent his Messiah, the Messiah was going to help the rest of the world know how amazing the Jewish nation was. Finally, the rest of the world will be under our feet, we will be at the top of the ladder, and we will be second only to God. Hallelujah. That's what they believed. Then Jesus came and messed it all up. Jesus came, I can't remember the exact verse, but the, uh, the Pharisees were challenging Jesus at one point. And Jesus said, you don't, not only do you not understand the word of God, you don't even understand the power of God. And these were experts in the law. See, the religious leaders of Jesus' day had it wrong. They had it wrong. Now, the cool part is, <laughs> we can translate this over today. Whenever I hear someone tell me that they know exactly when Jesus is going to return for the second time, the second coming will, st- will happen here. They know exactly how the tribulation is going to work. I kick back to the first century and remember, the religious leaders always got it wrong. Especially when God says, you will never understand what's going to happen. And in the end days, when God says, no one knows that I'm coming back. And then someone stands up and says, no one knows, but me. They're wrong. I think if they actually did get the day right, God would wait a day just to prove the point. You remember a few years ago when that cult was talking about how Jesus was going to come back at the end of the comet, hail bop or whatever it was. And so they all ran up their credit cards, took elaborate vacations, drained their 401ks and their retirements. And I am not kidding. They were all out in a field billboards by atheist organizations went all around the country with the guy who put the the, the notice out, the quote, and then underneath it, that was awkward. You'd think we'd figure this out. How many of you remember the book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Was Coming Back in 88? Do you know that was the second volume? Because there used to be 85 reasons why Jesus was coming back in 85. Same guy wrote both books. yeah okay so the jewish nation had a problem with the idea of gentiles being made right with god simply by believing in the messiah and you read through acts you read through a lot of the new testament and it's like "No, no no you need to not only believe in the messiah you need to be circumcised and you need to follow the law basically saying jesus wasn't enough you needed to be one of us you ever heard that today jesus isn't enough you need to belong to our church Jesus isn't enough, you need to be baptized a Catholic. Jesus isn't enough, you need to be baptized a Baptist. We're all wrong. Jesus is enough. By faith alone, through Christ alone. The promise of redemption was never about making the Jewish people special. The promise of redemption was simply the opportunity for the Jewish people to be the vehicle through which the Messiah would come. And we really need to understand that today. This is one of the reasons why a few weeks ago when I was talking about people who say we need to dismiss the Old Testament. Because it's no longer relevant. Dismissing the Old Testament is one of the most idiotic things that any Christian could possibly do. It is so fundamental to our faith, so foundational to understanding truth. If we don't understand the mistakes the jewish nation made as the people of god we will make those same mistakes and we are we are the jewish nation believed that god was going to make them special and rise them above all else where in reality they were simply the vessel through which god was going to save the world they were the instrument of god's power they were not god's power we need to have a firm understanding of this Our connection to God does not make us powerful. Our connection to God allows his power to be demonstrated through us. Listen to the, to the way this works. God, our connection to God does not make us powerful. Our connection to God allows us, allows him to use us to demonstrate his power. His power, not ours. It was never about them. and It's never going to be about us. This is where the modern charismatic movement, the hyper charismatic movement tends to get it wrong. Now, please remember, we're a charismatic church. When the Eastmans come, you're going to see that quite a bit. But we don't push it. I don't need to manufacture miracles in here. They happen all by themselves. You talk to enough people within the church, you're going to hear about healings. You're going to hear about miraculous provision. You're going to hear God moving in their lives in amazing ways. And I don't need to make a spectacle of it in front of the stage. I can let God be God. God. We've gone from a place, some of you will remember these kinds of statements where we serve the power of God with the spirit of humility. How many of you remember that within the, within the church? That was a huge movement in the church for a long time. We serve the power of God, but we serve with a spirit of humility. Now one of the more common things that you hear coming from the church today is you need to activate your spiritual authority. Look at how diametrically opposed those two statements are. We serve God with a spirit of humility versus I will activate my spiritual authority. Last I knew, I couldn't save anybody. I'm pretty sure I have a hard enough time saving myself, okay? It's one of those things where you confess your sin, you're doing good. Things come back and you crawl your way back to Jesus. Did it again. Did, did it again. Jesus says, I know, I was watching. We don't activate anything. We serve. These kinds of teachings have gone away from the wonder and the amazement and the power of God to the wonder and the amazement and the, amazement and the proclamation of our own self-worth. And it's teachings, popular teachings in the church today that tend to move people in this direction. One person that I tend to talk about quite often is Bill Johnson. He's the lead pastor of Bethel Church, Reading, California. Jesus Culture, Bethel Music, they're all over the place. But one of the things that I have found over the years is that, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, over 90% of the people who commit themselves to this guy's teaching have no idea what he teaches. They have no idea. They look at the services and they see something that looks like a Pentecostal expression of the gifts of the spirit and they get attached to that, but they pay no attention to the words that come out of his mouth. Because if you paid attention to the words that come out of your mouth, you'd understand that this guy is a borderline cult, but it looks Christian. And when you go back to Matthew seven twenty two and you hear Jesus say the gifts of the spirit, and the manifestations of the spirit, know mean nothing. If you don't know me and obey the will of the father. But we get so caught up in this. This is a quote from one of Bill Johnson's first books. And I want you to understand why the church is moving from the spirit of humility to the spirit of my activated power. These are some of the core teachings that involved this. One of the things that they teach is that Jesus was not God. He was simply a man in right standing with God. This is from his own book. He, meaning Jesus, performed miracles miracles, wonders, and signs as a man in right relationship with God, not as God. If he perform now listen to this, if he performed miracles because he was God, then they would be unattainable for us. One of the core fundamental teachings of this man is that the power of the Holy Spirit is at your beck and call. Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have the same power that Jesus had. Kenneth Copeland has actually said from the platform, if you could be a person in right standing with God, you could have gone to the cross and you could have been the salvation of the world. I'm not kidding. You don't believe me? Look it up for yourself. Just so that you understand, Kenneth Copeland's ministries received $300 million from Christians in support last year. They're supporting this nonsense. Two years ago, Bethel Music, Bethel Publishing made $82 million from Christians from their books and their music to help perpetuate this message around the world. And it's growing like wildfire. This particular idea is called the kenosis heresy. It has always been a heresy. And guess what? When you talk about Jesus not being God, here's the problem. The Bible doesn't agree. The, if you, This is what I, can, I, can, I told you. I warned you. I, I, I warned you this is going to happen. I don't understand how Christians who claim to know the word of God or even know God can spend such a small amount of time in their Bible that any nonsense that comes out of a well-spoken person, they just believe. If you would just read your Bible... Isaiah 7 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. They will call his name Emmanuel, which just means a guy in good relationship with God. So if I'm in right relationship with God, does that mean I was born a virgin? How is this not miraculous? John 14, 8, 11. This is Jesus. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. A cursory examination of the Bible will tell you that this guy has no concept of what he is talking about. He's not preaching Christianity. He's not preaching the truth. He is preaching New Age mystic nonsense. This is Eastern mysticism repackaged to make it look like Christianity. And people are eating it and eating it and eating it up. It kills me when I see it. It kills me. I've listened to literally hundreds of his messages. I've never heard him talk about the gospel. Can I say that again? I have listened to hundreds of his messages. I have never heard him talk about the gospel. I hear him talk about how amazing he is, how amazing you can be, and the power that is waiting for you. Pastor, are we in the book of Acts? (laughs) Why, yes, we are. The section in Acts 21 that brought me to this topic, it didn't bring me to this topic because of the way the passage is used, it brought me to this topic because of the way this passage is misused. How it is used by certain groups to misrepresent God, to misrepresent the gospel, and to misrepresent the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to show you what I mean by this. Big names like Chris Vallotton, Bill Johnson, Cheon, Jeremiah Johnson, Sid Roth, Kat Care, Paula White, Kenneth Copeland, and so on, have all in the last year used this passage to justify being getting their prophecies about Trump wrong? All of them have stood before people and on their YouTube channel and in front of their podiums said, "Thus saith the Lord." God spoke to me, and Trump will win. I've actually listened to one guy who said God took me to heaven. I'm not even going to get started on that one. Said, and spoke to me that he even said Trump was going to win and this was going to be his cabinet. Okay, <laughs> we got a problem. Now, after the election, what they started to say was, ah, he won, but it was stolen. Now, now, hang on a second. If God says, thus will be, do you think afterwards he was like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Those sneaky voting machines. Boy, I wish I was omnipresent. If I was only all-powerful, I could make this happen. No, when God says it's going to happen, guess what? It happens every time. So they use this particular section of Scripture to justify that you can be wrong as a prophet of God. This is the core issue and the core difference between being a humble servant and being puffed up with your own capabilities proud of yourself versus a humble servant i hope you can see this in acts chapter 21 verses 10 and 11 this is a prophet named agabus and paul's getting ready to, to journey to jerusalem he says and they stayed many days and a serpent a circuit a certain all the letters were there just need to get them in the right order a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his hands and feet and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, immediately, everyone tried to get Paul to stay. Don't go, don't go, don't go. They're going to they're gonna go after you. Don't go, don't go, don't go. And Paul says, I don't care if they kill me. God told me to go. I'm going to go. And finally, they said, good point, wish you well. They sent him on his way. Now, the question is, what they say is that Agabus got it wrong. And because a prophet in the New Testament got it wrong, we can get it wrong. You see, we don't have to be right all the time. Isn't that great? I can be a prophet and totally be a bad one, and it's totally fine. Well, the question is, did he get it wrong? So what are the things that had to happen... For Agabus to be right. Paul needed to be bound by the Jews and turned over to the Gentiles. That was it. That was the entire prophecy. So let's see what happens. Starting in verse 27, it says, now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, Paul was already in Jerusalem, said, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. That means they were beating him to a pulp. Just in case you don't understand the old English. Crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks. Oh my gosh, he brought a sinner into the church. Into the temple and has defiled this holy place. You know, because the last thing we want is sinners in the church. Good, no one got up and left, huh? we're good. For they had previously previously seen the guy with a really hard name, uh, the Ephesian to him in the city... <laughs> whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together. Listen, seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. That word "seized," by the way, means to either bind with hands or to hold against will. It's the same word you can interchange it with bound. Just, just, No particular reason, just want to point this out. Okay, so they seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, (laughs) these guys were mad, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took the soldiers and the centurions and ran down to them, and when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. What? So they're beating the pulp at him. They see them all of a sudden, they're like... It's the equivalent of seeing someone getting jumped on the street and everyone around is just holding a cell phone. Not helping. Then the commander came near and took him the, and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was and what he had done. Dude, what'd you do? They are mad. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. And some... Uh, uh, so when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. Now listen to this last line. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. Just so that you understand how bad this was, Paul was beaten to the point where he couldn't stand. He physically could not stand up. He wasn't tossed around a little bit to prove him a lesson. He was, they were trying to beat him to death. Now, the question is, did Agabus get it wrong? We can talk about the beating of Paul later. Did Agabus get it wrong? Now, before we get into the actual terms in the passage, I want you to hear from the mouth of Chris Valatin and Bill Johnson, their version of this scripture, and then you tell me what happened in the middle. And at the end of this particular video clip, they're also going to tell you how Bethel Church teaches prophecy. What they believe prophecy is. Then we're going to look at the Bible. Okay? Uh, let's make sure the volume's up on that one. And here we go. So, the question
1: is, what, what is a false prophet? In um, Acts chapter 21, Agabus prophesied about Paul. Agabus said that the Gent- that the Jews would bind Paul and they would hand him over to the Gentiles. What actually happened, you can read it in verse 32... And 33 is that the Gentiles bound Paul and turned him over to the Jews. Now, what's the point? The point is, is that uh, there's a difference between a bad prophetic word and a false prophet. You can, have, you can get the word wrong and not be a, a false prophet. Because you give words that aren't, aren't completely accurate doesn't mean you're a false prophet, it just means that you have prophetic words that need help. I can tell you that there are people who have been wrong for 30 years. I'm not saying they're false prophets. I'm just saying they're bad ones. There's a difference between a false prophet and a bad prophet. A false prophet has an evil heart. A bad prophet just gets everything wrong. I don't know a prophet that gets everything right. I don't know a prophet that gets everything right. But you ought to, you know, 51% would be nice because you could guess better than that. I want to pray for this
2: prophetic anointing. You... You guys would laugh if you knew how, I'm just going to tell you. I can actually go a couple minutes over in this service. I don't in the other one, but this one I can. Yeah. You know, we started the prophetic in Weaverville years ago. There was no, zero prophetic. Zero. There wasn't a prophetic mouse. There wasn't a prophetic flea. (laughs) There was zero when we moved there. So I'd get men, sit around a table. And I'd turn to the one on my right and say, If Jesus were to walk in the room right now, what do you think he'd say? And they'd go, oh, I think he'd say. And I'd go to the next one, We'd go all the way around the room. And after we got all the way around the room, I'd say, Do you realize that you all just prophesied? And they'd oh, It's that easy. So we've, we've got to applaud. You know, Chris does an amazing job. He'll take like a room like this. He'll pair you off and he'll say, All right, everybody on the right, give a word of knowledge. In other words, something you couldn't know in the natural about the person you faced off with. At the end, we'll ask the question, you know, how many of you got it right? They raise their hands. everybody claps. He says, how many of you got it wrong? They raise their hands, everybody claps.
1: So the question is, what,
0: what is a false prophet? I think he answered his question. He is. So, when they say, I can be a false prophet because I don't, ha- I don't, I can be a prophet and still get things wrong because Agabus got it wrong. Now, what did he say? He said the passage says the Jews would bind Paul and hand him to the Gentiles, and he said from the pulpit that that was actually not what happened, that the Gentiles bound Paul and hand him to the Jews. Now, when you go back to the passage, what actually happened? The Jews bound Paul and handed him to the Gentiles. Who ended up with Paul in the end? The Gentiles. How did they get Paul out of the temple to go beat him to death? Do you think he may have been bound in one way, shape, or form? I think that's a possibility. I don't think they were like, Paul, you have upset us. We would like to beat you to death. Would you mind accompanying us to the courtyard? We don't want to bring any, we don't want to bind you in in any way because that would make Agabus' prophecy right, and we really don't want it to be right. We would prefer if you just walked out willingly so that we could beat you to death with rocks. No! Of course they bound him and they dragged him out. But what's happening in the church is they're saying that because you don't have to be right and you can still be a prophet, then everything is fine. And look, here's a New Testament example that I've just twisted to serve my own purposes. And the problem is when you actually look at the language, the words are very simple. Bound simply means to either bind or hold or restrain, and more importantly, it says, which can easily be passed over to the sense of imprisonment, to hold against one's will. And just so that you know, the usage of that particular word, meaning to hold against one's will into to imprisonment, is found in Acts chapter 21, verse 11. The justification is so far wrong, it can't even be It can't even be just a bad interpretation. It's a willful act to twist scripture to justify something that's ungodly. The puffing up and proud uh, and and getting pride uh, in your heart because this is what you want. You want to walk in the power of God, but that's not what the power of God is. The power of God is found in humility as a servant, not as the one wielding it. Now, if you went totally crazy and you went back to the Bible to figure out what a prophet is, Deuteronomy 18, 17 through 18, this is one of the reasons why they want to get rid of the Old Testament. The Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will rise up uh, uh, for them a prophet like you from among their brethren. Listen, and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak them all that I command. So when the prophet is speaking, what are the words that the prophet is speaking? They're speaking the words of God. Is God going to get it wrong? No. If God is putting his words in the mouth of the prophet. Then the prophet cannot get it wrong. He's going to be right every time when when he was saying, I don't know any prophet that gets it right all the time. Like, have you read the Old Testament? Because they always did. And they prophesied some crazy stuff. It always came to pass because it was the word of God in their mouth. Deuteronomy 18, as we continue, verses 20 through 22 says this, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we, listen to this, how shall we know the word which is the Lord has not spoken. How do we know the word that God did not say? How do we know what a false prophet is? It says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, this that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. It was not a word from God. The prophet has spoken presumptually. You shall not be afraid of that person. Basically saying, they have no power, they are not one of mine, do not fear them. Later on in the passage, it says, feel free to put them to death, because they're speaking things that are contrary to me. That's a little rough. I've had the opportunity multiple times throughout my ministry to be used in in various prophetic ministries, and Samantha will tell you, it terrifies me it absolutely terrifies me. I would, I, I've, I've not given words. I have, I have, I've just decided not, not to speak because I would rather wait than get it. than think it's just me, especially if it's someone I know. It is very hard for me to speak a word over someone that I know because you know them and you may just be speaking hopeful things, but that's not what prophecy is. It is. This is a word from the Lord. So one of the reasons why I love it when Andrew comes down, everyone who's ever watched Andrew speak and pray over people in the front, they usually say something like this, that guy's reading their mail. How could he possibly have known that? He doesn't know that. <laughs> he, he 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 does this like 300 days a year. It's amazing how God uses him. And if you talk to him, he's got no pride in it whatsoever. It scares him every time. That's the person I want giving a word over me. I don't want the person like. about time you came to my platform, you worm! I shall place my hand on you and give you the word of the Lord. I'm out. <laughs> I'm going to Chick Fil A, man. I'm done. It's just not. It's just not going to happen because I can get closer to God at Chick Fil A than I can getting spoken over by someone like that. And if you didn't know, yes, Chick Fil A is actually what God rained down in the desert for the for the for the Israelites. We saw, we call it manna, but honestly, it was Chick Fil A. It was Chick Fil A. praise the lord now here's the thing if all i do is read the bible i'm going to come to the understanding very quickly that these people are not only wrong they're dangerously wrong they are willfully and openly twisting god's word to justify a view that you are the one with the power you just have to learn how to use it please hear that You are the one with the power. You just have to learn how to use it. And they're using passages like Acts 21 to justify their errors. And probably one of the more frightening things is, this is another section from Bill's book, When Heaven Invades Earth. He says, likewise, salvation was not the ultimate goal of Christ's coming. Please read that line again. Likewise, salvation was not the ultimate goal of Christ's coming. It was the immediate target. It was the marker in the lane. Without accomplishing redemption, there was no hope for the ultimate goal, which was to fill each born-again person with the Holy Spirit. God's desire for the believer is for the believer to overflow with himself that we might be filled with the fullness of God. Doesn't that sound really wonderful god desires that we would be full of him that we would overflow with the spirit that sounds great until you realize that before that he says jesus did not come to save you he had to save you so that you could get the power that can be activated in your life that's the statement here jesus had to go to the cross so that you could become powerful i don't even know what to say to that this is what I mean by I, I don't understand how 50 million copies of a book that has page after page of heresy can be sold to Christians who read it with a glow on their face. Maybe if we read the Bible as much as we read other books, we'd get somewhere. To say that, that, that Christ came to bring the power of the Holy Spirit and salvation is just a side issue? Salvation is a side issue? To make the cross of Calvary something that could be considered, but you know, once it's over, we're good. To push the saving work of Christ out of the center of our faith and put personal spiritual accomplishment as the forefront. To make this pursuit of personal spiritual power, the focus of our faith, is not Christianity. There's no humility there. There's just pride. There's just arrogance. I don't even believe there's salvation there. It is unbelievable to me to see this over and over and over again. And then he quotes this section of scripture at the end to be filled with the fullness of God. So I looked the scripture up and said, is that even in the same context? He's talking about Jesus didn't come to just bring salvation, but he came to bring the Holy Spirit so that you could have power in your life. Listen to this verse actually in the Bible where he found it. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints What is the width and length and depth and height? To know, listen, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Oops, sorry, I didn't move that. And here's the part he quotes. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, now, (laughs) listen to the next verse. He's using it in his book in the context of it's not God's power, it's your power because this is what Jesus came to bring you, your power, it's not about salvation. Look at the very next verse. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. A- Amen. The very next verse contradicts the way he's using it in his own book. I wonder how many people read the book and then looked up the scripture. It's a. It's it's. You know why I don't have hair? I tore it all out. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But as I've showed you over the last few weeks, and I'm going to say this, and this is going to sound very harsh, but if you actually look and listen to the messages, you'll understand this is true. This church, Bill Johnson, Chris Valentin, and a lot of the guys they look with they work with, have no trouble ignoring the Bible when it's inconvenient. They have no trouble doing it. They actually believe that it's godly. You'll actually hear them say over and over again, there's God, what God said before, and then there's what God's saying today. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change his mind. It's gut-wrenching. God has always desired the same thing from his people to walk with him, to represent him with a heart of humility, to be willing to tell all those who hear about him, about his forgiveness, his grace, his salvation, that is available through the work of Christ on the cross, and when required, be a vessel for his authority and his power. The Jews got this wrong. They thought God's authority and power made them special, made them rise above everything else that the power was in them. It was at their disposal. The Jews got it wrong. Now, we Christians have a tendency of making fun of the Jews because of the way they used to look at things. And we're doing the exact same thing. Instead of walking in the humility and the authority of God's power, we're talking about activating our own spiritual authority. We've lost the ability to walk in in the humble authority of the Holy Spirit. And we need to get back to that. The theme is very simple. God's people cannot afford to make the same mistake god's people has made for millennia don't think of yourself more highly than you ought it wasn't about them it's not about us it will never be about us it will always be about him if your life and your pursuit and your ministry do anything but point people to christ you're doing it wrong. And I firmly believe one of the reasons why the gospel message is so hard to get out to the ears of the people today is because there's too many people that have put themselves in front of the gospel message because they need to be seen. They need to be heard. They need to be the, be the spectacle. You need to be like me and then I will introduce you to Christ. Where it's exactly the opposite. We invite people in, say, this is, I, I want you to meet Jesus. And while you guys are talking, I'm going to get out of the way. It's never been about us. It's always been about him. It's never been our power. It's always been his power. Even first Corinthians says the the power of the spirit is given out according to the will of the spirit to whomever he wants, whenever he wants. All we have to do is be willing to be willing, not to force and not to corrupt. Let me pray for you. I've already spoken too long. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for this opportunity. I want to thank you for your word and the message that you bring that we are to walk in your power, in your authority, but understanding always that it's yours. Help us, Father, to be humble vessels, humble servants. Help us to walk with and and never lose the understanding that we should be thankful that we are even used by you for your ministry, for your gospel. Lord let us not get ourselves out of order let us not get ourselves ahead of things let us not put ourselves in a position that was never prepared for us help us to hold on to the truth and to help us be able to recall when we hear people who claim to be leaders in your name twisting and mangling your word and give us the courage to speak out when we hear it. We humbly ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.